You're listening to Art Affairs, Episode 70. Today I'll be talking to Drew Merritt. So my name is Michael Faith, and this is Art Affairs. Art Affairs is my attempt at shining a spotlight on the many wonderful people that make up this amazing art community, featuring conversations with artists, gallerists, curators, telling their stories. You can dig through previous episodes complete with show notes at artaffairspodcast.com. But the best way to stay plugged in is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're really enjoying the show and want to help support what I'm doing here in an even bigger way, Check out the Art Affairs Patreon. Not only does it give you an opportunity to help keep the show going, but there are several community-oriented benefits as well, like getting early access to episodes and suggesting questions for upcoming guests. You can find all the information about that at patreon.com slash artaffairs. You can also connect with the show on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. All right, so today's guest is artist Drew Merritt. Drew creates work that feels much like they came from a bygone era, but an era that you can't quite identify, filled with emotion, empathy, and personal relationships. And it's not just the paintings he creates in his studio, but a big part of his career and his story involve painting gorgeous large-scale murals as well. We talk about the balance between public and studio work on the show, as well as how he first became interested in making art from his childhood home in rural New Mexico, what he has coming up in 2023, and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Drew Merritt. Drew, welcome to the show, man. It's really good to have you on. Thank you. It's, it's really great to be here. All right. So I want to dive into your background a little bit. And you mentioned it just before we actually started recording. Um, I was going to ask you about your upbringing. And I know that you were you were born in Clovis, New Mexico, which is like right on the New Mexico-Texas border. I looked it up in, in Google Maps. And it seems that even like the closest big city is actually in Texas, not like an hour and a half from Lubbock, an hour 45, I think, from Amarillo, whereas Albuquerque is like three hours away. So it's like you're closer to Texas than New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> so did you spend like a lot of time in in Texas being so close to the border? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so my my dad uh, grew up in Farwell, Texas. And um, so so Farwell is interesting because um, Farwell and Texaco, they're kind of the same city. It's, and it's actually called Texaco, New Mexico, which is hilarious to me. But, <laughs> right. but it's it's pretty much the same city just with like or city town, um, tiny populations. But there's just like the railroad tracks that run through the middle of the town. And one is Farwell, Texas, and the other is Texaco, New Mexico. So it's like right on the border. And uh, my dad grew up. Um, his, his parents had a, a place on, um, outside of Farwell, Texas. So farm and ranch out there. So, so yeah, like gr- grew up bouncing back and forth. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was a little closer than Albuquerque, both of those places. So anytime we like needed anything major or whatever, it was always, it's always Amarillo, Texas, Lubbock, Texas. And then, um, yeah, we, we, we grew up going to Albuquerque a lot just because like um, school stuff, sports stuff. It was still it was still New Mexico and that was like the biggest city. 
So I think like 80% of the population or something live up in Bernalino County, New Mexico. So like it's all basically the entire state is like, you know, there's there's other towns and stuff, but it, it's pretty much Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Taos, like everything else. It's like tiny. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, with Clovis itself, um, it sounds like it's a pretty small, like rural uh, environment. Is that pretty much the vibe when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I grew up, um, it's just so funny cause everything is like spaced out so far. So in between Melrose, New Mexico and Clovis, New Mexico, um, is St. Vrain, New Mexico, where, where I grew up little ranch. Um, and it, uh, there's nothing. I mean, like, I think that there, there was a post office and that was it. So it was like, so I think and now that I'm thinking about it, I don't even think that that post office is still running because oh, there's wow. nobody there. So, so that's where I am now. Um, just family, whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm out here back and forth from, from LA now. So, I mean, it is very polar extreme opposites. Yeah. Super. Like the, the contrast between those two experiences is pretty vast. Um, I, I guess, you know, you mentioned that your family owned a ranch and that you grew up on a ranch. So like what kind of farming did your family do? Uh, we, we farmed, um, corn, a lot of corn, uh, wheat, alfalfa, um, triticale, which is kind of like wheat and then, uh, or it is wheat. And then, um, we had, uh, cattle. So a lot mm. of cattle that was, that was kind of probably like the main thing growing up. Like we, we did a little bit of everything farming and ranching. Like they, they go so hand in hand that it's like, um, if you have a lot of cattle, you better grow your own hay. So it's <laughs> right. kind of, so we kind of, kind of did that. And then, um, yeah, a lot of corn as well. So. And so then growing up, I guess you, you probably worked on the farm a lot at, even like at a really young age, like that's pretty labor in, intensive work, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like just, I mean, straight out of the womb, it's like, you, know, <laughs> you don't really have a choice. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Just basically since birth, I mean, like some of my, my earliest memories were just bouncing around in a pickup feeding cattle or like on a tractor, or like with my dad or whatever. So very, very rural, very polar opposite of what quote unquote street art is supposed to be. Well, I mean, to, to that end, like, how did you get exposed to art? just art in general? Not like street art is one aspect of art, but just art, the arts in general. How did you get exposed to that as a child? Oh, that's, that's it's super weird because um, here there there really isn't any exposure to art. Like uh, the closest city cities being Amarillo, Lubbock, um, oh, uh, Al- Albuquerque, places like that. There's I don't think I went to an art museum until I was like 24. I didn't really know that they like existed. So also growing up in a far, farm ranch, stuff like that, you you don't really have internet. We had dial up. So anytime, you know, this is way back, you know, this is this is dating me too. But I mean, like there there was no, um, you know, it would, it would take an afternoon to download like a MapQuest <laughs> thing to figure out where to go. You know, so it was... It was, there, there was no really like internet, um, even, even television and stuff like that. Like growing up before we got like satellite TV, there was, I mean, and that was like teenage, probably like we had three channels, mm-hmm. PBS. So it was like Bob Ross occasionally was like <laughs> the extent of, of, you know, art. Um, and then, uh, the interesting thing is, is like, you know, you, you would, 
kind of just being in nature was like the the exposure to art, I think, and like seeing things like that and appreciating beauty in, in that way. But um, then th- th- there's really only a few things we have here, which is farming, ranching, um, and then the railroad, Santa Fe Railroad had a big hub in my hometown. So like I, I grew up with a strange perspective because I would see graffiti at the same time we were like, working cattle or moving cattle like horses the whole the whole thing so it it was never um separated in my mind or like as like a like as a uh, urban art form or like a city based thing it was it was just so natural to be like you know hauling cattle in a pickup look over and be like oh it's a dope throwy you know like just <laughs> just like you know and, and um and then i th- i think uh music too just uh we i grew up in the um the era where it wasn't streaming, you know, you'd have to go to like a record store or something and get like CDs or tapes. And so seeing that album artwork was like one of those tiny little things. Cause I would, I would buy albums solely based on their, you know, on, on the album artwork would be like, Oh, this looks great. This is going to be good. And then sometimes it's like, Oh, this is so bad. And then sometimes, you know, you'd get a, you'd get a good gym. But, um, and then, uh, another, small thing which is probably not the norm for like a oh a ranch country kid is uh on on the way out to the ranch from the uh from clovis um there was a little gas station right beside the the vet store the vet supply so like my dad would go in to get cattle medicine or whatever and then we would go across the street to this little convenience store town and country was was what it was called and um uh, we, you know, get a Coke and some candy or whatever, but they had a, a tiny little comic book rack by the door. So it was like the highlight of my entire month. If like we went in there to, you know, just like get a snack or whatever. And like my dad would give me a comic book and then I'd like read it or whatever on the way out to work cattle. And then, you know, it just kind of, just kind of grew from there. So, uh, my first experiences with art was actually like graffiti and comic books. Wow. And so does that what ultimately inspired you to, you know, I guess, express yourself artistically? Yeah, I, I don't. It, it's it's I would say so. I uh, never really thought about it. It just kind of like happened just so like um, naturally, like uh, like we would a lot of the times here, too, since everything is so far apart. It's like there's a lot of time in the car, like a lot of time just sitting in a pickup, like driving from one place to another. And, um, since I was so young, like I, I, it was just like, you're in the car for hours. So, uh, my parents would always just, you know, like I, I would like beg them, let me take my drawing stuff. Let me take my drawing stuff. Okay. Okay. Here you go, kids. So it's like colored pencil crowns, you know, like the whole, the whole drawing kit, every single place we went. So it was just kind of like something I always did. So do you feel like that you would have still done that even if you had not seen the graffiti on the trains, not seeing the comic books, do you still feel like that was just inside of you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, since day one, it was, it was like always just, um, before it was like graffiti and comic books, it was like, uh, horses drew a lot of horses, stuff like that, or just like make stuff up like weird stuff, you know, like little kid stuff. But, um, it definitely evolved into a way where like, um, I was doing those things like I was always like drawing more horses or whatever. And then it kind of like evolved into like stylistically like graffiti and comic book as things kind of like snuck in. 
Mm. Is that something that your family like encouraged in you? Were they supportive of like you as an artist? So, you know, were, they, were you even thinking of it in those terms of, hey, this is something I could eventually do as a career? Or was it just something you just did on those long drives because you didn't have anything else to do? <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little bit of both. Like I, I loved doing it. Um, so like I think it I think it would have happened anyway. Uh, I, I, I kind of spent my whole life trying not to be or like trying not to like pursue it because it's you know, you grow up on a farm and a ranch. It's, it's kind of like, Hey kid, get your head out of the clouds. Like do that in your <laughs> spare time. And it's like, there is no spare time. Right, like, like, right. Um, no, but, but my parents were always like really supportive. Uh, like, like the first mural I ever painted, um, I think I was eight. Uh, and, and it was because like, I, I asked my mom, I was like making up my own superheroes and stuff. So I had like this whole comic book thing that, uh, my older brother, Michael, he would write the comic books out and then I would like illustrate them. So we had our own like characters and plot lines. And I was like eight years old. And, and I asked my mom, I was like, can I, can I paint my room? And she was like, yeah, sure. Go for it. <laughs> so like old house paint markers, whatever. But, but I like did like fully like life-size scale superheroes, like busting through my wall when I was eight. Wow. And my parents were kind of like, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> like, you know, they were, they were like, that's, that's uh yeah, you should, you should do that more. And then um, I remember asking him when I was a kid, though, like, do, do artists make money? Like, do they do they actually make anything? They're like, no. So, it's, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm going to try to, like, be like an architect because I'd get to, like, draw. And then so, like, I dove deep into, like, architecture. And I was like, I was so young. I was like 10 being like, OK, I'm going to, like, try to, like, draw blueprints and stuff. And I was like, this is <laughs> this is so bad. It's so boring. There's so many numbers. So, uh, so yeah, I kind of like, um, kind of evolved out of that and I was like, maybe it's just not in the cards. So, uh, well, it's interesting that you had already, you know, even at the age of eight or nine, when you were doing the, you know, the, the paintings on the side of your, your, your family, you know, wall, um, that you were already thinking like large scale that you were already kind of, you weren't just drawing in a notebook, you were painting on a wall at the age of a nine or to eight. <laughs> <laughs> Ambition was never my problem. I have, a, I had a little too much of that. In like fifth grade, um, I got the the man shut me down. We'll say I started a poster business in the fifth grade. Oh wow! And uh, I employed like half of my class. <laughs> what were you paying them? You employed them with what? Like lunch? Uh, like quarters? Quarters? <laughs> so I was, I was. It was, a, it was a hard business lesson, man. I. I uh, I employed like half my class to like go out and like sell these posters that I was like designing and I was taking like custom orders and I would like, I'll do like your name and like graffiti or like whatever, like cartoon characters. And so people were like uh, paying me like a dollar a poster. But since I had employed half of my class, it was a hard lesson because at the end of the week when I got everything done, I didn't have any money left because I paid all my employees. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I was like, this is terrible. It lasted like two weeks before my teacher was like, hey, you can't keep doing this. Like no one's doing any work. Like parents are complaining. The kids are like taking their money, like stealing dollars. <laughs> and so it was it was just bad. It was bad. So so the man shut me down um, and uh yeah, so I, the the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, but <laughs> you mentioned graffiti and and you know finding that through the trains coming through your town, um, and I know that you got really interested in it, you know around twelve or thirteen. Um, so were you out painting trains yourself? Were you out there doing your own graffiti? 
I was. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I probably started, oh, I'd probably, yeah, probably like 12 or 13. Um, and a lot of, a lot of that is because, uh, so living so far away, like all the schools that I went to, I didn't actually go to Clovis. I, I went to Melrose for a while and, um, oh, it was, it was kind of a drive and it was all like back roads and stuff. But, uh, so I was actually, I mean, like whenever you grow up, like farm kid, they kind of just like parents are like, all right, like you're, you're like, you know, seven, we're going to teach you how to drive. Don't tear, tear anything up. You know, there's no highways, like whatever, go out in the pasture, feed the cattle, whatever. So, um, like I remember like, uh, driving to school, like years before I had a license and like my, my older brother would drive us or then like, if he, he wasn't around or whatever, then I would, I would end up driving myself or whatever. And that's just a recipe for like, it's just like a lot of freedom at a very young age. So yeah, I was, (laughs) I was like, I was like spray painting on everything, man. Like it was, I was pretty honorary. I feel pretty bad for my parents sometimes. Did you have like a tag name that you came up with and everything? Oh man. Um, so for, for trains, I mostly wrote, uh, Oz or, uh, some, some, somebody told me, um, uh, my mind was from the land of Oz and I was like, that sounds so sick. So they had seen my sketches or whatever. And uh, I was a friend of mine. And so I started writing like Oz and then I wrote, uh, mind of Oz and then it got shortened down to just mind or Oz or uh, then it was like M-O-Z, like Mind of Oz. So it was like all these like very strange things. Um, and then I found out whenever I started painting on walls, though, that no one really besides like gangs and stuff in my hometown or like even like all of Mexico, I didn't really know any graffiti writers. It was just like mainly like gangs and stuff. And that was like so far from what I was seeing on the trains. It was like very different. So um Eventually, I had uh, this is this sounds like so embarrassing, but if re- reminding you, I was like I was like eleven, I was like eleven, <laughs> right? But I started like I had like thirteen or fourteen different graffiti names, and I'd like kind of like battle with it with myself, I'd like cross them out, like do one and like whatever, and I was like because there was no one else writing on walls, so I was like I'm. I'm the only one within 200 miles that's like writing graffiti. I'm going to get caught. So I better come up with some like aliases. Wow. You're competing so, with yourself just to throw the people yeah, off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then fast forward a lot of years, I got, I got in a lot of trouble for it. And then, um, I actually started writing gang graffiti, even though I had like no affiliations whatsoever. I was just like, I was like, oh man, like, West Side Locos are going to look real good today. <laughs> and like, do like big block letters. I was like, I was, I was stupid, but um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, did the competing gang members ever like get you for that? I mean, no, I, like- <laughs> no, I stayed, I stayed pretty clear. Like I was, I was a ghost. Like I would just, uh, I mean, like yeah, I was, whenever I was like super into graffiti and stuff, I was, I was uh, probably like an interesting case. Um, I mean, whenever I actually got in trouble for it, I was in, I was in high school. So it was, I'd been doing it for years and years and years before there was like any sort of like blowback or like I ran into anybody. Cause it was just me. It wasn't like a group of friends going out or every once in a while, whenever I got a little older, I'd, I'd commandeer a few buddies and they'd go out and help, help or whatever. And, and mainly they just like run around and sneaking around. So it wasn't like they were like into graffiti. They were just like, well, are we going to run from the cops? It's like, probably, probably like, it was like, all right, we'll come with you. Bunch of unruly kids. But, uh, 
how did you end up getting um like caught how did you end up getting uh, picked up um there was it was actually my first art show there was like a uh art show type of thing downtown it was like a arts fair um event it was like all in downtown and um uh a friend of mine a friend of my mom she had an antique store downtown with big like front facing windows that was a part of this arts festival and it was like the only one that I think my town had ever had. It's probably like the only one that I've heard of since. And it got me arrested. Um, so I'd been doing graffiti for like, I mean, what would that be like? I was 17. So, so like six, seven, eight years, like constantly, like just every chance I got. And um, they had this art fair and she was like, well, you should, you, we're allowed to request our own artists. You should come put you know, some, some paintings or whatever in my windows. And I was like, awesome. I'd love to. So like I had a bunch of stacks of paintings that I never told any of my friends or anything that I did either. Cause like painting's not cool. Graffiti, you can like slide by. So they kind of knew I was doing that, but not, not really. Um, so I just had like stacks and stacks of paintings too. And I was like, I'd love to take them in. And I put these big panels up and kind of like did a big piece on them. And, um, oh, it was, it was cool. It was like, I really got to uh, to do it. So I put all these paintings in the window and I, I had taken a bunch of my black books in because I was doing sketches like installations. And so I actually like put them, I put them like in there. So I was like going off of the sketches in my black book. And then I didn't think about it and I folded them up or whatever. And I left them behind the backdrop that I put up. And there was there was like the embarrassing thing is that there was like literally like no graffiti tags anything in the entire thing it was just all like acrylic paintings i was doing of like kind of like not southwest stuff but just like wacky paintings and some some horses and stuff like that and there was one tag oh, and the man. whole thing tiny on this like bulletin board thing it was the only thing that like remotely looked like graffiti and a cop was walking by uh. and saw it and saw it. And he went in and like just went around into the antique shop. And I was an idiot because I was a kid. And there was a stack of black books. I, I think there was like 13 black books of sketches of like oh, every man. piece of graffiti. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's worse, what's worse is this is before digital cameras. So we would take like. Like if my friends would end up going with me, like we had like the wind up disposable cameras. So it was like, not only that, they were almost like photo albums because <laughs> I had all those, all those like film like evidence things. of your, yeah. Of your, uh, so wow. Bad. That's amazing. So it was taped in the black books. And so he just walked in and started like looking through them and just took them. No warrant, no anything, just like took them. And so fast forward, I, I'm like sitting in class at school. And I get called into the office and it's just like this cop is sitting there and he's like, okay, I, I walk in too. And I'm like, cowboy boots, like, like it's not what they were expecting. The dude was like, the, you are not what we were expecting. And I was like, what were you expecting? <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so anyway, so uh, called into the office and he's like, so did you do this? And I'm, and I'm like, no, I didn't do it. 
And he's like, he has like printed out photos of like all this, like just stacks of graffiti. He's like, did you do this one? I'm like, no, I didn't do that. He's like, did you do this one? I'm like, nope, didn't do that one either. (laughs) And then like he pulls out my stack of black books and he flips to the page of me like smiling, spray painting the piece that he has a photo of. And he's like, he's like, did you do this? Do you, you want to like change your answer? And I was like, uh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> but it was just that one. <laughs> well, well, it was really funny. So the conversation went like, he was like, um, he was like, well, we're finding these all over. And as of right now, we have you on 16, like six, 16 accounts. And I like looked at him and I wasn't thinking. And I just said, only 16? And he goes, he goes, he kind of literally is like, yeah, 16. And I was like, okay, we can, yeah, we can, this is eight years of constant graffiti. 16 is nothing. And, um, so he's like, and I, and I have a feeling that we're going to be finding more. And I was like, I don't know, man, probably not like whatever that night I called like three of my friends and I went and buffed probably like like 50 walls, dude. like 50, anything that I could think of. Like we got, I just got five gallon buckets, drove around and all night it was just like, just paint, <laughs> buff, anything that was like a recognizable signatures, anything like just throwing buckets of paint on any wall I could find. Amazing. And, and like, uh, the scariest thing is he said that he was going to contact the railroad and stuff like that. I don't think they ever did, but that's what I got like real scared about. I was like, cause that's, that's like thousands. It's, it would have been, but, but anyway, so, um, but since he took those without like warrants, anything like that, uh, we had a family friend that was a, a lawyer at the time. And, um, basically like there was a, plea bargain thing where they were like okay so you're you're not gonna um arrest him at school like anything like that we're gonna work this out he's he's a minor it's all good like just we're gonna turn it he's gonna turn himself in and we'll do like a book and release thing it's like dope so i show up to school on monday and this is high school i was uh junior senior year i was 17 so I can't, I can't remember, but, um, 17 year old me shows up to the high school and I walk around the corner and I see a cop waiting for me outside my classroom. Oh. He sees me, I see him and I just run. I dip. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, so, so here, here I am just running from the cop in my high school, which would, whoever saw it made me pretty cool at the time. Um, I end up getting away, driving home. My dad is waiting for me and he's like, they didn't honor anything that the attorney said, like, they're going to try to arrest you, all this stuff. It's just this one guy. My dad gives me a sleeping bag and a shotgun and he's like, <laughs> oh, he's like, go out to the ranch, stay there until I come get you. And I'm like, dope. You're the <laughs> coolest dad in the world. So right. I ended up. I ended up uh, camping out for like a, a day or two, uh, went by a convenience store, got a little bit of food. And then um, and then so he he hits me up and he's like, come home now. You're going to turn yourself in on Saturday again. And like they'll leave alone. So I'm like, OK, cool. So between between these two times, I turn 18. 
<laughs> oh, oh, uh oh. So, yeah, so that that thickens the uh, that thickens the playing field, like the the pot. So I show up, they take me into juvie, and I like with it within like a minute. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm gonna like book and release, even if I'm in here overnight. I'm running this place. I'm I'm 18. <laughs> I'm like I'm like I'm good. Like you know whatever. They they take me in there and they like look at my ID and everything. They're like, oh, you just turned 18. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, we got to take you to the other one. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah. So I. I went to juvie and then they took me to the other one. And the good thing is, is I was only in there for an afternoon. Like it was, it was straight up. Like they booked me and I had a really crazy afternoon in jail. And then uh, they let me out that night. And um, my attorney was great. He, he actually brought the cops donuts, which I was, I was like, dude, that is a bold move. And I love you. Just like showed up like morning, everybody like, you know, super, super friendly with everybody. Um, he would like pull me in to like the little room so we could like talk to get me out of like, they just threw me in a cell with a bunch of other people. Oh, man. And it was on Monday. So it was after the weekend. So there was a bunch of wild stuff going on in there. A bunch of dudes coming down, but, um, but yeah, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Um, and then uh, he was a great attorney. So uh, since they did a few things illegally, like the case just kind of like magically disappeared. So on paper, it never happened. So I got very lucky. And then um, the best part about the entire story is this leads into my first professional mural. So I asked, I asked our, my, my attorney, I'm like, I can't thank you enough. Like this, like I think now like over 14 accounts and I might be wrong. It's like felony charges. So like I got really lucky. And so I asked him, I was like, well, what do I owe you? Like, I can't thank you enough. And he goes, oh, it's all good. My, uh, my wife wants some mural in our kids room. So that's how I got out of it. It was, it was almost like community service, but. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I read about the, um, the, how you paid your attorney's fees with the mural. It was that like what kicked it off for you as far as just realizing that that you could actually make money for doing what you were just doing for pleasure? Yeah, it, it, it was definitely like a catalyst. Um, like knowing what his attorney fees were for other people than knowing what um, like I got off. It was like, wow, there's, there is, there's value in this. Yeah. Just, it, it kind of, it's kind of still blows my mind. I like think about it. I'm like, wow. Like, that that would have been like ten G's or something, but um, but yeah, definitely was a was a kicking off point. Very cool. And so you know, when it came time to go to school, you know, this is just after because you were a senior when all this was happening. Um, from what I understand, you went to Dallas for for school at first. You went to the Art Institute of Dallas, which is where I grew up. So that's my old stomping ground. Oh no way! I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. I, I only moved down to Austin about ten years ago. Everything before that was Dallas. Um, so I guess what led you there? What led you to Dallas? At this point, I was doing kind of like any art I could get my hands on, any type of art. So, uh, you know, New Mexico and stuff like um, lowriders, things like that, airbrushing, pinstriping, uh, welding, anything that I could like get my hands on that was just basically like paint I was I was doing. So I was actually uh, my best friend. Uh, me and him were going to go to Wyotech together to like learn how to paint cars, work on cars and everything like that. And I was like, 
I was really excited about it because it was just like some sort of avenue for, for creation. And um, my parents being like as supportive they are, they were like, well, do you want to like work on cars or do you just want to like paint? And I was like, I honestly just want to paint. And they were like, well, you should figure out how to do that and like where to go to school for that. Because my dad, like farm and ranch, he, he worked really, really hard. So he's, he's like, well, do, do what you want. Like, if you're not going to farm a ranch, like, do what you really love. So that was pretty cool. And um, and me being, like, so inexperienced in, like, uh, in world things, the only thing that I really knew about was the Art Institute because they came to my high school and talked. Oh, they were like, okay. ah, you should come to the Art Institute, like, if you want to do, like, graphic design or whatever. Mind you, I'd never owned a computer at the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, I'd love to do that. Um so I was looking into trying to figure out like art schools or whatever. And um, since birth, everybody told me that like, you know, fine art, there was no money in it. So it was like, well, I don't, I don't want to be broke. Like being on farm ranch, you don't really make money. You spend it. So it's like, I want to do something that where I'm like making money. Um, so I had looked into some places in like Albuquerque and stuff and growing up visiting Albuquerque nothing against Albuquerque because I, I absolutely love it. But like memories of Albuquerque were like, that was the first time I saw a car on fire, you know, like things, <laughs> things like that. And I was like, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll check Dallas out. And then I went to Dallas and coming from the desert, like everything is green and like, yeah. there's like flowers <laughs> everywhere. And there were like all these restaurants and it like, it just seemed like really like clean and nice. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I'd never been to any other city before. So it was like, this is so cool. Like, this is great. Um, and then the Art Institute, and it was like, I'm really going to go for it. And then, um, and so, yeah, that's that's what took me to, to Dallas is just because I had never been anywhere else. So it was, it was like Albuquerque or Dallas in my mind. Like nowhere else was an option. So I ended up in Dallas uh, going to Art Institute. Um, and I went for animation at first and uh, like knowing after, after you kind of get into animation, you, you realize like, oh, I'm going to be like working in video games. Like that's 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 like it, which is like really cool. But I don't play video games. So it was like loving like what you're making. Like I didn't have any sort of reference. It was like, well, I'm going to like make something and I'm not even going to like play it or enjoy this. Like I'm like a, like outdoor stuff, hands-on like stuff like that. So then I ended up switching to uh, graphic design as my major. And then from graphic design, I went, um, I think I did like a short stint in film. You had to take the film classes before you actually got into the animation anyway. So it was like, well, I'm on that track. And then after that, it was like, I'm not even painting anymore. And so I switched over to advertising. And then it was like, and I did like a month of that. And I was like, I'm not even here for what I want anymore. And I'm a terrible student. So I I, I had to get out of that one. You just left. And then I, I read that not, not long after that, you went to a university in New Mexico um, to actually focus on art, but was only there for like a week or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I dropped out a lot. <laughs> so like what, what was, were you just not into being a student? Was that just not the atmosphere for you? Man, I think... Yeah, like I, I enjoyed a lot of, um, a lot of like the life drawing stuff, which in Dallas, like, it, like every semester, 
I would end up just like signing up for like life drawing courses and stuff. And it just like got further and further. So I was doing like a lot of the, the, you know, classical art classes, uh, oil painting stuff, life drawing, um, you know, where the model comes in and they pose for like a certain amount of time and you do everything from life. And then whenever I got to, uh, uh, ENMU, it was, it was the same. Like I was like, okay, but all of my credits didn't transfer, transfer over for some reason. So it was basically like starting all over again. And I was like, all right, cool. Like it's, I'm going for fine art now. So like, I'll, I'll be able to do that. And, and it was like kind of weird, um, because they would, man, I'm trying just not to like talk trash <laughs> on, 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 on school. Cause I mean, like, it's great. It works for a lot of people, but like, it's pretty frustrating whenever like you're, you're, you're fairly good at something and you go in and they're like, okay, today we're going to be drawing a three dimensional box. And you're like, I'm at like college level. Like, can we get something, you know? So there was uh, at the time, um, instead of buying a house, whenever I moved back from Dallas, I was like, well, I don't really need much, you know, graffiti kid, couch surfing idiot. I was like, I think maybe like, I'll just like, kind of like go for a business. So I found this warehouse on the, a uh, bad side of town that I'd always like thought it was cool. It was like built in the thirties or whatever. So my parents helped me out. They were like, well, you can either like get a house or like we could get this and throw a shower in it and you could, you know, turn it into a gallery and it's cheaper than a house because it's on the wrong side of town and it's pretty rough. And I was like, yep, I want to do that. So, uh, so picked it up for pretty cheap, started renovating, gonna like make it into a gallery running a gallery um so, so it was kind of like dream come true in a lot of different ways but at the same time i was going to college and so i was like doing uh kind of like construction remodeling and stuff getting it ready to live in and to show artwork in during the day and then i'd like go to college and um try to do stuff like that so i felt i fell a little bit behind in the first week on like assignments which was draw a three-dimensional box so my professor was pretty pretty pissed at me and she was she uh i think it was a she i can't remember which one it was uh we'll just say a professor uh was basically like you're falling really behind on your assignments and i told her i was like i'll i'll do i'll do this week's assignment next week and the next week and this class period, like I'm like, whatever to make up for it. I'm really sorry. Um, and she looked me in the eyes and was like, you need to get your shit together. Wow. And I was just, I was just like, uh, I, I'm like not a kid anymore. So I'm just like, bye. bye. Yeah. You I can't don't, talk to me like that. <laughs> yeah. I, and I just never went back. I was like, you can, keep your three-dimensional boxes like, I'm, <laughs> I'm done i'm so done so i just walked out and never went back um and then uh yeah focused fully on like the gallery i mean that must have been really frustrating just because you were they were asking you to do stuff that you genuinely didn't see any value or anything contributing to your growth as an artist while at the same time you're working day and night to stand up something that you really cared about. And then they really give you grief, grief about that. Like that seems. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was pretty bizarre because at the same time too, like I was already selling paintings. 
So like I, I was basically going for the piece of paper. You know, I was like, I want to get a degree in this. So like I have something done on paper. I want to I want to be like an academic artist and have something to back up. Like, but I was I was selling like pretty consistently at the time. And then uh, commercially, I was working with uh, some interior designers. And so like I was getting commissions and like I was I was doing I was doing OK. And so like uh, it was it was a very strange thing to be like, well, I'm already like making money at this why why am i gonna like <laughs> do this i don't i don't know it was it was really uh it was pivotal it was a pivotal point where it was like i can always go back to college but right now i'm making money and i'm opening up a gallery so looking back i guess are there aspects of a formal art education that you you wish you had had the opportunity to do you know maybe you missed out on uh yeah yeah there was I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of technical things that I feel like I could have learned um, that would have been a lot faster through a college and it would have been like trial and error. Um, the technical things, not not so much like painting wise, but like, OK, like if you get a wrinkle on a canvas, this is what you do. These are the kind of stretcher bars that you need to use, like um, use this kind of gesso. And if you can't use this uh, oil painting mediums like stuff stuff like that um i think the i would have really benefited from that because it, it took a lot of trial and error learning myself um a lot of like kind of like experimenting and things like that which, which is important for a young artist anyway but I, I think that it would have kind of expedited you know uh, a lot of those things but at the same time i i feel like i for for me and this is for me because not everybody's like this, but, um, I feel like it was, it was important for me not to let, um, like a professor or somebody that kind of had any authority, um, influence the way I see things or like the way, the, the way I paint and the subject matter I want to paint and not giving anyone, um, any, uh, yeah, I guess influence would be the right word and influencing anything to where like now, like whatever, whatever I paint. And at the time, too, it's evolved so much. It looks completely different from what I was doing at the time. But any sort of like stylistically telling me like, oh, well, this is bad. You should paint like this. And it's like, I mean, art is so subjective that it's like, well, I want it to look like that, you know, <laughs> like so. um So I, I think it's important that for, for any art student going to college or whatever, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily let, uh, professors influence you really on like what you want to paint or how you want to paint it or anything like that. It's, it's, it's basically just to, uh, learn how, learn the tools and how to use the tools and not what to make with those tools. For sure. So if, if that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, you know, after making that decision for yourself, saying, okay, that this, this really isn't for me. Um, clearly the, the, uh, professors aren't supportive of my vision or my growth as an artist. So I'm going to do my own thing. What were you doing for work at that time? Were you, did you immediately just jump into that gallery space that you guys had set up and start doing your own thing? Or were you doing other kinds of work while also developing yourself as a, as an artist? Um, I was, I was pretty much, uh, just, just painting my own stuff. Um, and the, the gallery space was great because it lent into that because it was like, I'd get a painting done, walk to the front, hang it up, 
there it is. And then um, I was pretty busy with uh, um, commissions from the interior designers that I was working with, which, I mean, talk, talk about soul sucking. I've painted so many rich people's poodles. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you know, some of, some of them are like really cool. And it's like, oh, I wish I, I wish I had photos of that or whatever. And then some of them, it was like, they didn't get signed. They just, it was just out the door. It was a paycheck and it funded the other things that I wanted to do. And then um, the, the, the gallery space was interesting too, because it, it kind of evolved into uh, an event space as well mm. that like me and me and my family started like working on together. So it was, we would have like weddings and like uh, parties for the air force, which is also around here. And so that was cool because every, every weekend it was like, I was having like my own art show because like a uh, event would come in and like all my art was on the walls and it was like some paintings would sell you know, it was, it was really cool. It was really cool. And then through that, I, uh, um, the air force got a hold of me to, uh, do, uh, some commissions of, uh, a, a bunch of airplanes and it was for the 33rd squadron oh, and wow. it was ev- every plane that the 33rd squadron had ever flown. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was like little cool things like that, that I was, I was doing in those, those early days. And so I guess, how did that evolve in, I mean, at what point did you start to diverge and say, okay, well, you know, these commissions are paying the bills, but it's not really where my heart is. You know, I'm painting other people's things, other people, rich people's poodles. Like at what, how did yeah. you transition into actually creating the work that you wanted to create? I, I, uh, went to Santa Fe, I went to Albuquerque, um, and a, f- a few other cities even even dallas and i would like go into galleries and and i'd be like hey like i'd I'd like to like show with you get represented whatever and like and this is at the time where i'm like making pretty good money and even i was doing like my commissions but i was also doing like the kind of work that i wanted to do so i i had i had a pretty like pretty strong portfolio of like pretty pretty like decent for for those that time in my career like paintings and um so i'd go and be like hey like this is, this is my work, whatever. And they'd be like, who are you? And it was like, right. Okay. I gotta, I gotta like not be in like the smallest town known to man. I have to have like an internet presence. I have to like, you know, be, be seen basically. So, um, it was around then I got, I got all the air force commissions done. So I had a little bit of money just, just sidebar, it just kind of like drove the point home. Um, whenever I would pull into the parking lot to my warehouse, there was um, there was a sign because it was like it was just like a, a road that just stopped, and there was a sign that said "dead end" on it. Oh! So every time I pulled in home, it was like dead end. This was like three, four times a day. I'd run out, go get food, groceries, like do whatever I had to do. It was like dead end dead end dead end for years and it was like it 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 really that's why i like started like shopping around at other galleries and trying to get represented because it was like it started like meaning something and that's when i knew it was like this isn't this is this ain't it so yeah i uh started shopping around at other galleries uh got turned down by all of them one lady in santa fe was really nice and she said something that kind of like stuck out to me she was like you're, you're doing great work. Like 
it takes a lot of courage just to walk into somewhere and be like, look at my work. It's like walking in with your parents down and being like, what do you think? <laughs> you know? And so she was like, it takes a lot of courage. Like you're really young. Um, I'm going to say this like, and don't be offended. Come back in 10 years. And it kind of stuck out because I was like so sad and like so heartbroken, but also like she ended up being kind of like right where it was like, you're actually not where you need to be right now. Like you're going to grow a lot. It's like, all right, cool. Um, the cool thing was, is 10 years later, um, they're out of business and I was doing great. <laughs> no, <it's> just, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just my own pettiness though. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, yeah. And then I got, I got the Air Force. Yeah. Get back on track. Uh, I got the Air Force paintings done. So I had a little bit of money and, and basically I just threw stuff in my truck and drove out to LA. Just, I was like, all right, it's, it's time. So I threw stuff in my truck, drove out to LA, um, went to San Fran. San Fran was like really big in those days, like with galleries and a lot of stuff, um, street art graffiti and like uh all all of my favorite artists at the time I think were were San Fran based so I didn't know if I was going to end up in like San Fran San Diego I just knew like west coast was where it was at um I I'd flown out to New York probably a few months before to try to figure out if I could like do the New York thing and everybody that I saw that was successful or at least from what I saw was either like really old or really dead. And I was like, yeah, right. I, I don't know how to break into New York. It's a very like that's different. A, yeah. It's just, it's just different. So um, then I went out to LA and it was like, or California, we'll say California. And it was like, everybody was super young, just thriving, making really cool work. You would just show up and be like somewhere and be like, Oh, I'm an artist. And be like, Oh, cool. Me too. Like, let me see your stuff. It was like so easy. And it was like, that was it. We're like New York. I feel like you needed like a passport and something stamped and show your degrees. Credentials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little, little bit more, uh, uh, uptight. No, uptight's not the right word. Just, uh, show, show me, show me, you know? So, uh, go out to California and, um, I made money, but I didn't make that much money. So I was, I was living out of my, out of my truck for probably like three months, just kind of sleeping out of it, driving up and down the coast, trying to figure out what to do, like where to go. Um, and I kept ending up in arts district in LA cause I would go like San Diego, try to figure stuff out. And then I'd go to San Fran and LA was, you know, I'd just end up in LA every time in the arts district because that was back in the day when it like, wasn't cool. Um, there was there was like parking everywhere. It was a lot of construction. They would always like film stuff from movies. So like I could kind of go and like park my truck and walk around downtown L.A. and like just kind of like not worry about it. Well, I guess L.A. and downtown still kind of like that. It's just kind of like a bunch of bunch of homeless people walking around. And, and I was very far from that. But um, they would like film stuff down there too. So I would like park by like where they were filming and they would have like the, uh, the really nice, like porta potty set up for like all the movie people. And I would sneak on sets and like <laughs> go take like my sink bath <laughs> and then like walk back, wow. sleep in my pickup. Amazing. And, um, yeah, just kind of just, just really funny stuff. Now that I look back on it, it's, it's at the time you're like, what is going on? I'm a mess. This is terrible. And I look back and I'm like, that was, it was necessary. 
So after doing that for a few months, um, I ended up finally like just committing and being like, all right, I'm going to get a studio down here in LA. I feel like it's skipping the middleman. There were a lot of artists moving to LA at that time from San Fran. And um, so I'll just, I would go to like art show after art show after art show every single one. That was like my job. It was like, I would just go to all of them. So like, just kept kind of like seeing people running into people. Um, and so I'd had my studio in downtown for a few weeks that I spent all my money on. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. Uh, this is like, I'd put my down payment down and then like my first month's rent. And I was like, well, that was all my money. Like, hopefully this works. <laughs> and um, I went into a known gallery. They had a print release with Richard Oliver and I was a big fan of his. Uh, so I, w I went by and like, it was like just him in the gallery and he had like a hospital band on while he was signing prints. And it was just like me and him in there. And I was like, just got out of the hospital. And he was like, I just had a kid. And I was like, Oh my gosh, congratulations. Well, I'm going to buy three of your prints. You're going to need all the money you can get. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we kind of became friends or whatever. And at the time I was broke. So I was like, well, I'll get those framed next year or two. I didn't have money for like, I was like skipping meals, but I, I, I bought some prints and um, we kind of became friends and kept up with each other or whatever. Uh, fast forward uh, probably like a few months and he was like, Hey, I'm having a solo show in known gallery. And uh, there was another artist that was going to have a solo show in the project room, but they dropped out and you're the only like artist that I, that I know in LA you have like 10 to 12 pieces that you could show with known gallery. Like I showed them your work and they're like willing to take a chance on you and like all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I do. I'm looking at them. I didn't have anything dude. Like <laughs> it was, it was two weeks until the show and I had zero paintings and I was just like, oh, all right, solo show in two weeks um, at known gallery, which um, was the whole reason why I ended up moving to LA was because of known gallery. I was like, I want to show with them. Like this that's a chance. This is, and then it like magically somehow happened whenever, like I didn't know anybody, like I didn't have any friends. Uh, this was directly after like sleeping out of my car. Like it was, it was just, it's kind of like this like divine influence feeling thing where I was like, I'm, I'm doing it. This is crazy. So um, two weeks of no sleep, hanging wet paintings and known gallery. And, uh, uh, met Casey and all the, the guys over at known gallery and like just clicked and like, um, yeah, they were just ever since then, just like my ride or die guys, like uh seventh letter known, uh, met, met all of, all of those guys and they're just so awesome. And it was, I still don't really know how that happened or like also like the, the ironic thing of like, like talk about like legendary like affiliation with like legendary graffiti crews and stuff like MSK, AWR, all those guys and seventh letter. And then I'm like sitting there like fresh off the ranch. Hey, y'all. <laughs> like I still don't know. Like I'm so grateful and thankful because I, I don't see how that even like happened. So, well, and it's crazy just the the series of events. Like if you happen to happen to walk in and him have a wristband on, and you think, okay, well, I'm gonna buy a couple extra prints because he just had a kid. Like if those things didn't happen at that sequence, yeah, yeah, like that's wild to think about, you know? 
It is. It just, and, and that's kind of been my whole career in life. It's just these like wild thing of events where it's like, if I like talk about it and there's like a lot of other little things in between there that like I leave out cause I'm going to sound like a freaking kook, but, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but it, it's, it's like, if you catch me one-on-one and like, we like go through the, like the chain of events of like, it, it will make you believe in God. <laughs> it will like something, something, some divine entity, something. Cause it's just like, there's, there's no way that that, like that chain of events happened like that. And it just, there it is. It's just coincidence. It's like, it is bizarre. So, um, so yeah. And then, and then my, my career since then has basically been those crazy chain of events. It's taken off from there. Just, just taken off. Yeah. That's wild. And so, you know, fast forward a few years to, to 2016 and, and, um, you know, this is something that I had talked to Michael Reeder about on the show and I had him on a couple of years ago and, and also with former guest uh, Matt Eaton, um, I know you were one of the people that participated in that residency at Red Bull Arts in Detroit that yeah. um, you, Michael Reeder, and Ian Kuali'i um, all participated in. Um, and I know that talking with Michael about it, um, you know, this event was really, it really seemed to be a pretty transformative thing for him because he was sort of at a pivotal point where he wanted to explore new new techniques and new styles. So I you know, having heard his side of the story and Matt's side of the story, I wanted to hear like, what was your side of that experience? Um, and, and I guess just, you know, starting that off, how did you get hooked up with Matt and how did it even become an opportunity for you? Oh man, it, the, the chain of events <laughs> that just keeps. So, um, we'll just start off how, how I, the chain of events that led up to meeting Matt. Um, so after I did the show with known gallery, I just get a cold email from the circle guys from rabbi and Davey from circle. And all the email says is paint us naked. That's it. (laughs) So I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like it was just hilarious. And then we ended up becoming friends and I would go by their studio in Hollywood and, um, hanging out or whatever. And they're really good friends, uh, with Tristan Eaton, which is Matt's brother. So, uh, I think it was, I think it was either 2015 or 2016, maybe 2015, uh, rabbi hit me up to help him out, uh, paint some circle murals in Miami at Basel for a Swiss beats event, the no commission. So I was like, well, I don't have anything going on there. I'd love to go just like hang out. It's free trip to Miami, like go hang out with all my friends and do the Basel thing. Like, why not? So I show up. Uh, we, we, I help rabbi, uh, paint the circle mural, go to the Swiss beats event. All good. I'm done. I'm like, I'm just going to hang out with everybody from, I'm just, I'm just hanging now. Well, the next morning after, I mean, like we stayed up late at the Swiss beats thing, like just, I think DMX played. It was so epic. Like we (laughs) were like, Oh my gosh, this is like dreams. This is so many dreams on so many levels. Awesome. Um, so I wake up at like 6 a.m. to a text from Tristan and he's like, yo, this big music wall that we have in Miami, London police dropped. Do you want to take their spot? Um, and between Esau, Rabbi, me, David wow. Flores, Askew One, um, I'm, I know I'm forgetting some other people, but it was just like epic lineup. And then there was, there was me who was like pretty, pretty new coming off like my first solo show like not a lot under my belt. And Tris was just like, yo, you want to take their spot and I'll get you paid. 
And I was like, yes. Oh, <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah. So it was just like that random chain of events. And then it put me on like the same playing field as all these like epic artists that I was friends wow. with and I looked up with. And, um, and not only that, their spot was like front and center beside Tris. So I was like, this is so sick. So, um, anyways, I think that that, while I was painting that, while I was painting George Harrison, and that was the first time that I met Matt. Nice. And, um, so I was, I got to rapping with him a little bit and I was like, dude, I just, you're awesome. Like, I want to, I want to do stuff with you, whatever. And he was like, well, you know, maybe we can figure something out in the future. And then fast forward and he hits me up. He's like, Hey, you want to do like Red Bull, like house of art in Detroit with, uh, with, with reader. And he was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then leading up to that, um, that's like the crazy chain of events to where like now I'm in Red Bull with these two other epic artists who I like look up to tremendously. Yeah, it was it was very transformative, like being around because um, I'd never sh- like shared a studio. And this is like a, a really pivotal point just in uh, my career as an artist, because I'd never really had peers. Yeah. Like, I mean, even when you were painting graffiti competing against yourself. You- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was the, it was the first time. Like the whole time. Yeah. So it was like the first time I was in a studio with like these like really dope epic artists that have had like their own experiences and like taking those and putting them in their paintings and techniques. And it was, it was a really cool melting pot of um, seeing how other people work and what they do and like, and how, how meticulously like reader plans out every little thing was talk about a guy that uh, walks the fine line of like being like pop street academic. He checks every box. Like the dude, He's one of my favorite people. Um, and we just had so much fun, man. It was great. And during that time, I got invited to my uh, my first powwow. Oh, wow. Which so, uh, which which was it the one in Hawaii or, or one of the other powwows? Uh, I think it was the one in D.C. Okay. It was nice. the one in D.C. So um, that was interesting in itself. Um, there was a lot of different events going on at Red Bull. And then uh, I had like two or three different mural festivals that just kind of like popped up during that time. So I was just being a madman. Like I was like (laughs) painting in the studio at Red Bull and then I would jump on a flight and go paint a mural. Um, I did one at Atlanta uh, with ABV who are awesome. Had a great time down there with Greg Mike and all those guys. And so I like went down there and like painted and then I did like powwow and then I was doing Red Bull and then I remember being in DC and painting a mural with Insa uh, from London and, and like uh, Matt called me and he was like, Hey, do you remember you got like a secret walls like tomorrow <laughs> night? And I was like, no, but I'll see you there. So I like was painting a mural, jumped on a plane, did secret walls, jumped on a plane again, went back, finished the mural with Insa, went back again. Uh, it was, it was just wild. That's it crazy. was so wild. I mean, thinking about the contrast in that experience, just being a jet setter, flying back and forth to all these cities and painting compared to what you came up with, with where you were isolated in a ranch and didn't really have exposure to the outside world very much at all. Like that's light and night and day, you know, those different experiences. I didn't see the ocean until I was like 24. <laughs> so it was, so I had never been anywhere. Uh, Dallas and Albuquerque, that's pretty much it. And then in kindergarten, like, I think I went to like DC or something, but that, like I had never like 
not in any like frame of like memory, like been anywhere, done anything. So, so like going from nothing to like LA, San Fran, traveling around the world, painting murals, just like constantly moving nomadic is, is very different. That's wild. And so this experience with Red Bull, where you were able to see all these other ways of working, um, you know, working with Ian and, and Michael, um, I guess, did it give you an appreciation for collaboration? Like, do you like in general collaborating with other people, like sharing a vision in that way? I really do. Um, it always depends on the person. And uh, like I've me and Reader have always talked about like doing a wall or doing something together. And it just like never really happened. And And I don't necessarily know how it even would but it would just be so fun because i just love hanging out with him and then uh i did a wall in downtown with a skew and i think that that was one of the first collaborations that i ever did and from then on it was like oh i just want to paint with my friends like it's so much fun and you learn so much because you get these little tricks that these these dudes have been doing for like you know forever and you get to get those little things and you get to file save as in your brain and be like, oh, I'm going to use this on my next mural or like whatever. And a lot of the, like the processes that I learned from him and reader and um, oh, little stuff that I stumbled on with myself or even Insa or whatever. Like I use them like on almost every mural now because it's like there'll be these like weird little things where it's like, oh, I'm going to have to use this trick to get to this because it's like an awkward wall size or whatever it is. And then um. Kamea and, and Hawaii, like he's, he's a good friend of mine and, um, helped him out on some murals or whatever and, and learned a lot from him and just, uh, yeah, I, I love collaborating with people. The bad thing is, is that those are all the positives. The negatives are, is like, I learned this after kind of like a year of being like, oh, I just want to go hang out and paint with everybody. Then you go to like portfolio wise and you look at all the walls you did for the year. And it's like, none of these are really like what I do. <laughs> it's just like a portfolio of like a collage of work. <laughs> so it's like, eh. but yeah. a lot of fun, a lot of fun. No, that's awesome. And speaking of your style, I want to dive a little bit more into you know your art style specifically. Um, and, and, you know, I think one of the kind of cornerstones of, of your work is that you have, you know, what are what appear to be modern looking people in almost like Renaissance or, you know, Shakespearean period attire or, or Western attire also. Um, so I guess what is it about these like periods of antiquity that 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 aesthetic attracts you or appeals to you so much? Oh man, I could talk to the, talk about this for days. Um, so, so this is this is my own personal theory. I'd, I'd love to hear what other artists and what you have to say about this. Um, so, I have this I have this kind of thing that I've applied to all my work, where um, I feel like if you can't uh, tell what period a piece was created in, um, it might stand the test of time. It might uh, last a little bit longer if like you create something that's classic, that's outside of a realm of time. If you can't really place what period it was made in or what the date was that it was created, that maybe it won't be dated as fast. So like uh, a lot of the things, a lot of the artists that I look at, um, those like really classic pieces. And, and, and I think you could probably like do this across the board of, of art in general, uh, whether it's music or whatever, if you make a classic, then it will stand the test of time. Like, uh, like Beethoven's ninth is always going to be Beethoven's ninth. 
it's never going to be like, well, it's this like dated thing. And it's like, well, the, the genre in itself might be, but like, this is, this will be forever. Or uh, like a good example that I always use is like the, uh, the Chuck Taylors converse. It's like, they did something to where like, yeah, you know, the start date of it, like there wasn't anything that was like that before, but like from now on, like if you see a Chuck Taylor, just a photo of it by itself, you won't know whether that's from like whenever it was made or like this could be 2023. So it's kind of like that, that classic. So I, I, I definitely want to create something um, where you can't necessarily tell what uh, time period it was created in, whether it's like the, you know, 1800s um, or 2023. I, I feel like, um, yeah, maybe it, maybe it'll, last a little longer then because there's a like a lot of my favorite paintings even um oh the like the minimalist paintings things like that uh they're they're so easy to date like you can look at it and you can be like oh this was made in this time frame whenever this was a thing and this was like this time of art was transitioning into this where like i i always want to make something that it's you can't really tell yeah no that makes a lot of sense i guess you know uh the, I guess, narrative aspect of your work, or I guess, stepping back, do you feel that your work is narrative? Do you want to try to tell a story with the work that you're making? Um, yes and no. Uh, I, I, with, with everything, uh, with, with my process and with everything, I've always kind of used it as, um, it might sound a little egotistical, but it's, it's like autobiographical isn't, isn't the right word, but more, uh, a journal or an emotion put into uh, visuals. Like it's like very, everything that I want to do, it's, um, or everything that I put down, it's, it's all very like personal and very uh, like representative of what's going on or, or uh, there's a lot of like symbolism and things. Um, and having said that, I try to keep it so vague that I know what's happening and like all these little things, maybe they'll translate, um, to uh to people and they can kind of get their own meaning out of them like uh songs are the easiest way for me to like kind of uh, what, what's the word um relate relate to in that aspect because like you, you like everybody has their own in interpretation of a song you can hear the saddest song in the world and like you're like oh, and someone will say like oh that song makes me really happy it's just such a it's such a beautiful tragedy you know it's just like wow like i can really feel that and like Poetry, even whenever I read a poem or hear lyrics or something, I'm going to get a completely different meaning out of that because of what's going on in my life and my experiences than from someone else. So uh, so I, I, I try to keep things pretty, pretty close to the to the chest in terms of like describing what what I want a painting to mean or what it means to me versus what someone else will say, like. Every once in a while, it's 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 really fun, though, to kind of be like, well, this was my intention and this is what it means to me and like break down every little aspect and piece and the composition and like just really art nerd out. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but just for the overall like um, general viewer or someone that appreciates art, I never like to uh, to just out and out say and like I try to put everything into questions because um, I, I, I really hate preachy art. I really do. <laughs> I really hate the like you should think this and because of this and this and this. I like I like to do the more like, well, would you think this if this? 
Have you ever been surprised by somebody's interpretation of a piece? Just oh my gosh, yes, yeah. the 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 main one that sticks out in my head was like the most simple bust. I just painted a bust of a of a friend of mine, and um, it was so bizarre because like academically, it's just like whenever you see like a bust and you're like into art or you're into like everything, you just know it's it's a bust. It's a portrait, and you know it cuts off the shoulders. And, and somebody asked me, they're like, well, why did you de- decapitate her? And I was like, wow, <laughs> wow, you need therapy. <laughs> like, I don't know how you got that. But um, like little little things like that. But that's that's like the most extreme case of like, man, you went there, <laughs> you know, which well, honestly, with a lot of my other work, though, it's not that far fetched. It's not something that I was like super shocked by. because I was like, yeah, I probably got I probably cut some people's heads off. Something. <laughs> so, <laughs> One thing, one thing that also really stands out to me, and, and I think is rather striking, and I really appreciate a lot, is is your your composition style, where everything is super isolated, where you have you use a lot of white space and and isolate on a, a you know hyper focus on this kind of mini vignette, almost, and and it, it kind of occurred to me that these like they almost feel like glimpses of a, a larger scene, um, almost like a state. It makes me think of like a stage play, and how a lot of times you know stages are set up in a way that you only get a tiny fraction of the larger scene and you as an audience member are meant to imagine what the rest of that picture looks like um, and in that tell your own story through it um, which would make you almost like the writer the costume designer and the stage director so I I guess is that the way that you approach your compositions or is that why you have that kind of hyper isolated approach to, to building a composition? I am so glad you said that because <laughs> I, I couldn't have said it better. You nailed it. Thank you so much. <laughs> like, I, was, I would have stumbled over that and talked circles around myself for the next 15 minutes. And you said it perfectly. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty much in a nutshell. Um, uh, I, I like whenever uh and just going back to the music thing, and I'm not musical at all, so just just letting you know. But uh, they, all, I, I heard this quote that said, um, "The best songs are whenever you can hear the the air between the notes," and and I, I really liked that. Um, and and yeah, the 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 white space, the negative space, the composition, things like that. I want kind of people's brains to fill those things and themselves, and kind of like atmospherically put those in. Um, academically it's it's basically going back to the timeless thing as well academically i mean like by not painting things and changing the composition or whatever you're also like removing like 2000 years of art evolution in a painting and like you said hyper focusing in on something um so so yeah it kind of puts the spotlight on things you get to uh to worry about what's important in that moment and not with all of the white noise or the elements around it or, you know, worrying too much about other things. Um, uh, personally, personally with the, with the artistic growth through that, it, I would, I would end up spending a lot of time on details of a painting that, um, I never thought anyone would look at or like care to look at. And it was, it was kind of these, this, this evolution of like, well, I should probably like focus in on what matters. And like what I want someone to see instead of like focusing in on all these kind of like, like we were saying, like white noise or background things that just kind of like supports it. And it's like, well, if I really want to accomplish what I want to accomplish 
and letting people, uh, the viewer, get what they want from that painting, then I should really put my money where my mouth is and leave that out and let the viewer fill that space or or not or just enjoy that that kind of like clean nothingness. So um, so yeah, a lot of different things. And then um, I, I I think going back to like even growing up in an area that's just like so desolate and so flat. Um, New Mexico and really all you have is like open skies. I think uh, the the more I've thought about it and why I'm so attracted to like playing with those things, because if I walk outside right now, it's just nothingness above me. It's like just a, you know, just a pure blank canvas. And then every once in a while, you'll see like a bird fly over. You'll see like things. So it's, it's, it's kind of, I, I think about the, um, the psychology behind art a lot. And that I, I think about that. I'm like, why do, why do I like that so much? You know, <laughs> like, so, but I think that's, that's a contributing factor for sure. Very cool. I guess, how do you usually arrive at your, your ideas for a new piece or, I mean, do you do like a daily sketchbook routine to kind of help you generate ideas or do you have other kind of brainstorming activities? Man, it is, um, it's kind of like waves, like for, for me, um, it's pretty consistent but there'll be like a few days where like I'm just in my head thinking about things, thinking about uh, as cliches, it sounds like life, interactions, relationships with people, um, empathizing with people, different situations, watching what's going on in the world, all, all of these kind of like different things. And then I'll sit down and I'll do like 10 to 15 like loose contour sketches in a, in a book and then I'll close it and I won't reopen it again for a week or um uh, so I have all these like kind of concepts, ideas for painting symbolisms. I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, that's a, like a really cool representation of whatever emotion or I'll see a color, color combination, things like that of something that I feel like could um, really kind of stand for something. And then um, that's that's one avenue. Uh, and then a lot of the times I'll just be going through like day to day stuff whatever I'm doing at the time, getting coffee, whatever. And like an image will just pop into my head. And that's, that's very consistent. That's way more consistent than like the sketches or anything. It's just like, just randomly, like if somebody, if I'm having a conversation with you even, and like you say something like an image is going to pop into my head and it'll just like be there. And then the hardest thing is recreating that image or uh, trying to take the things that I want out of that image that means something. So, um, so it's pretty, all pretty, I would say pretty standard. And then um, I feel like a lot of the things that happen too is whenever I go to try to re- recreate those images. So uh, I take all my own uh, photo references for paintings. So I do like these big elaborate photo shoots. So everything makes sense. And like, I'm not having to like make too much up out of my head while I'm painting and stuff. So we'll try to like stage all these uh, photo shoots for paintings. And then you can't stick too much to the to the process because like some like cool magical compositions and things happens just in life that are like unintentional kind of have to just be ready to like be like oh my gosh like that is not the reason why i'm here but that happened and that will never happen again so i have to like kind of like take that and um and that's like a whole other kind of like branch off of the tree of like it's like oh this is this is gold i can't just throw that away and ignore it so, um, which, which that's just, that's just people like painting portraits, people, any sort of anything that lives or, you know, breathes or like moves. It's like, oh, like 
something um, random is going to happen that it just it's just magical. So it's almost like this collaboration between the original idea and then whatever comes out of it in the photo shoot. Exactly. Exactly. And then sometimes it's so funny, like, like sometimes it'll be, I've done photo shoots before with friends where I'm like, Hey, I got this idea, come over. And within 30 seconds, like I've got like two years worth of paintings and I'm like, well, that was it. It's like, like, we're good. We got, I got what I wanted and then I got like five more things. So yeah, it's, it's great. Are the, the models that you use typically people that you know, or just people that you've hired from like an agency or does that matter? I guess. Um, I used to, this is a great question. Really glad you asked this because I, I used to, uh, it had to be somebody that I knew it had to be a friend, somebody I was really, um, comfortable with somebody that like, hopefully they're comfortable with me. Cause it's like, it's like, um, come over, I'm going to paint you decap- decapitated with like all this like <laughs> weird stuff happening. And like, you're going to be in a bunch of trash bags and like, okay, like take off your clothes and lay on this mattress. Uh, we're probably going to have some fake blood, you know, like whatever it is, <laughs> right. it's like, gotta be pretty, pretty comfortable. And then, um, and, and the more that I've, I've done stuff and the more that I've, I've done paintings, I, I'd almost rather them be someone I didn't know now, which, which throws up a few obstacles. Cause like one, um, the comfort level is, is gone. And then to the, uh, the mannerisms I don't have, I'm not as familiar with. So if I, if I know someone very well, then like, it is so much easier to paint them because I'm like, I know, I know their posture. I know the way they lean, like small mannerisms or whatever, uh, you know, the way somebody's face looks whenever they're relaxed versus stressed out, like all these like little things that like, subconsciously I just kind of like incorporate I don't have to think about it as much where if I don't know somebody and I'm working off of images or or from life either one it's like I'm kind of like uh and maybe I'm the only one that can pick up on that but it's kind of like a a shell of what it could be in my mind so and maybe I'm wrong (laughs) I don't know it's a good experiment. It's a good experiment. Paint a bunch of people I know versus not, and then see if people can pick out. It's like that one doesn't look quite right. You know, I don't know. Uh, but but I at this point, it's all it's all like friends or friends of friends or acquaintances. Um, I've I've gotten more and more comfortable with reaching out to people that I don't know that just like look in, interesting or. Um, somehow like i feel like represent have like a good as stupid as it sounds like a good vibe like a, a vibe to where it's like if i can tell somebody's just like an angry person then then sometimes it's like oh they would be great for this character it's like it is it's like casting someone in a play or yeah. a movie or <laughs> right. yeah so so it's uh i i have discovered i love working with like actors and actresses i used to use uh a lot of my friends were professional models and stuff and and it, it was it was so great working with them because they were like that's what they do i mean like so natural we get like a lot of different things really really quick and just hang out have good conversations and then um but actors and actresses they like get into it like if you can like if you can like just describe like what you're going for and like situationally like okay like think about this this is the concept or whatever you can tell like their wheels are just spinning and all of a sudden it just clicks and you get like this crazy thing. That's like this emotion. That's like, 
from their experiences is like, it's just a whole other layer and you can get, get a lot of, uh, things out of, you know, little, little bit of make-believe. So. Yeah. And, and I'm sure they're used to just taking direction in, in general and, and creating characters, um, that may or may not really kind of tie back to their, their own personality. So that's really cool. Once you have like a solid idea for, for a piece and, and you've done these photo shoots and have ample reference, how do you develop like the composition from there? Do you usually draw a bunch of sketches until you, you know, you have a more refined version of it or you just jump right into to painting? Um, definitely play around with a little bit, a little bit more. Um, and, and it, a lot of that just comes from like looking at the image um, and kind of like feeling out and, and just talking about like what's interesting and what's not. It's kind of like, you can kind of like be like, Oh, this is like really cool. This like creates a composition that like I've never actually really seen before. And a lot of the times it's like, there's a reason you haven't seen it before. Cause it's not good. But a lot of the times <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like really interesting or like, you know, you can, you can, um, even, uh, recreate different parts of the painting like uh uh take like a oh that i i did a painting called the overture and basically i took um a lot of different images from the same photo shoot and a lot of like objects and i just put them at random places into the uh into the composition to where like i felt like it flowed and felt right and then another one of my friends that we had done um and the same lighting uh, she had these like bald cats, but like that wasn't, that wasn't even a part of like the photo shoot for those paintings or whatever. I was just like working on it and everything like that. I was like, for some reason, I just like feel like this is like a good thing. Like it, it needs a bald cat just randomly. It made me, <laughs> made me laugh so hard. I don't know why I was just like, this is so random and stupid, but, um, it just felt right. And then it like flowed into the painting and like added into the composition and a little bit more to the mystery and symbolism. So it's just those little things. It's, it's, uh, yeah, the cliche stuff again, happy accidents. I don't know. Like, and as you're, I mean, I guess that, that process of ideation to composition, is that the same if it's going to be a mural versus a painting in your studio or do you approach um i guess mm. creating an idea and developing an idea differently if it's going to be for a big wall that's another good question um wall, walls have their own they kind of have their own soul like where in studio work you not always but basically you just have like a, a rectangle or square or a circle flat canvas no obstacles you really get to like play with the composition kind of like how you see fit where, where walls it's different because it's like windows, doors, textures, wires, telephone poles, like all these contributing factors. And then even if you do have just like a perfectly smooth wall, it's like, well, what's it look like from across the street? Are there trees? Are there signs? Are there anything ob obstructing views? And then you kind of, uh, one that I'm working on right now, like it has like a big vent in the middle and like a few bay doors and whatever. And that kind of like, it kind of tells you what your composition almost has to be. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a free for all, but it has to flow this way. <laughs> right. Or, you know, you know, it's like, or even, um, a lot of that happens too with one way streets, uh, painted one in Amarillo, Texas a few months back. And, um, it wasn't exactly like it, it, it turned out exactly how I wanted it to be, but it turned out that way because the one way was like, it has to go here and this is how it has to be. And if you try to deviate from that, like 
it might be cool and it might be different and it might push some boundaries, but it's not going to view like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different, a little bit different. So because there's, there's, there's so, so many like physical constraints on, on what the image will ultimately be able to look like, what kind of, I guess, research goes into, you know, the concept and the idea, both in terms of the unique, you know, characteristics of the buildings, like you were talking about, but also just the community it's going to be in, like what kind of research you're able to do in advance of, of these projects? Oh man. Uh, so much, so much is involved. Um, uh, it's, it gets really tricky sometimes. Um, so a lot of these mural projects that, that me and kind of everybody do, they're, um, they're either on old existing buildings that they're like redoing or they're, um, building a new building where an old one was, or it's completely new construction. So you kind of get lumped in with this, um, this thing, if you've had like a neighborhood there for forever, and then all of a sudden there's like this, uh, non-local artist that's coming in as like a part of like redoing a city or whatever. And so it's, it's really great to be like, um, thoughtful and aware of like what's actually happening. Cause I mean, it, art brings so much to, to like spaces and cities and, and whether it's, um, a neighborhood getting like gentrified or it's like an old neighborhood or like it's a brand new neighborhood that no, it, it, it just brings like life and soul. So I'm lucky because it's art and I'm not the guy like tearing down somebody's house and putting in a brand new sky rise and putting a big mural on it. Like I can be like, like the silver line is like, okay, that kind of sucks in a lot of ways. It's good in a lot of other ways, but at least I get to put something that's meaningful to maybe somebody that's like still living there or like that can, help just bring a little bit of positivity to kind of like a weird situation. Um, so that, that's the silver lining, but it it is a very, uh, tricky kind of hard thing to talk about because it's like hard to not acknowledge what is happening in a lot of those situations. Um, and then the great situations are when like, you just have something that's like, I love art, just do whatever you want. And it doesn't really fall into those categories, but you know, with public art, there's always the the un the unnamed um, kind of like guidelines that I try to go with, which is like you know can't really do nudity, or at least not in the states. Um, can't can't do anything like too sexual. Can't do anything too violent. Can't do anything that speaks um, negatively on too much. Um, and then the, you go down that rabbit hole of like. I try to keep like political stuff out, religious stuff pretty far away. Um, yeah, there, there's all those little tricky things where it's like, there's a lot of things that you can't do, but having said that, there's a lot of things you can. So, and then, and then geographically too, it's, it's like, I always like to do things that like, Oh, kind of give back to the culture of that place or try to bring in some like new culture to it somehow somehow see the same thing that's been there for a very long time in a different way than the people that are from there have kind of just a new light or perspective on things if that makes sense yeah how do you go about i guess understanding those cultures do you just research online or do you know people in those areas to talk to like how do you dive into their culture man any any and every way you can like even um like visiting site beforehand if you can spending a little bit of time there um it's always worked out best for me like if i spent a lot of time in a place and i just end up getting a wall there 
then it, it helps so much. Like I, I know a lot of artists um, that will like, if it's like a really big mural project, they'll like be like, okay, I'm setting aside like a month that I'm going to go spend it in this place and visit the museums and like go to the library and like talk to people, get to know people, go, go eat some food, what whatever for like few weeks to a month before they even like start. So, um, but that's, those are like the, the big dogs. That's, that's a little bit more because they can afford to do that. And then if somebody's like familiar with their work, then they're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll fund this to where you can like come and, and we trust you. We know that the design will be good before you, <laughs> you know, so it's, and then like with, with a lot of, uh, other artists and it's like, this, it's not always the luxury you get. So it's like, you get, you can dive in online, you can make phone calls, you can walk around a neighborhood for a couple of days, get to know people. Um, yeah, any, any, and every way you can. A lot of research though, a lot of research either way. So. No, that's awesome. And, and so like between the work that you do in the studio and the public work you do with murals, what's the right like balance for you percentage wise? Would you rather be doing more murals than you're doing today? Less? Or do you feel like you have the right, the right balance right now? Um, I really, really love doing murals. Um, there, there are those constraints. Like I love a good challenge. So there's all these like different challenges with, with clients and, um, working with brands is always, uh, is always a beast because like, uh, one, you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. You're dealing with like 30 people, 40 people giving their opinion on something. even if they like, aren't even in have anything to do with art it's like everybody so so that's that's a whole different thing i twitch is a little no um (laughs) but uh but but it's always like great because you can kind of get some really good spots you can really push your own boundaries you can work within constraints of other things you can um get a lot of eyes on your art and what you want to do and stuff so so all all is good things um the, the balance is, is really hard. Um, like, like for me, like studio work is all out freedom because it's whatever I want to do. And, um, like I know how it's going to look. I know how it's going to turn out. I know the quality that it's going to be where whenever you get into public work, um, and public art, it's that balance of how do you, how do you keep that artistic integrity and how do you stick to, uh, you know, stylistically, like what, what you've created over, you know, for some people, you know, 20 plus years of like figuring out what works and what doesn't and how things need to look and color palette or whatever, and get really established and and really uh, respected. And then you go and it's like, well, we love this thing you do. We love your work, but just don't do that. And it's like, whoa, that's, you know. <laughs> that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's the whole point. That's, that's the whole reason why you contacted me is because you like my work. Um, it's just, it's always that balance though, I think. Even, even with studio work, um, that's something that like a lot of people don't talk about is because in, in the back of like any up and coming artist or really any artist's mind, it's always like, well, I hope this sells. I hope somebody likes it. Um, so that's, I thought that might be the balance is like, uh, the more walls I do, the more freedom I get in the studio to where like, I'm not thinking about if this sells or not. And the, the coolest thing about that, having said that, is that if I'm not thinking about it selling and I'm just thinking about creating art and, um, the finished piece, then it will sell. 
<laughs> right. it's, it's such a it's such a it's weird a, like weird dynamic yeah 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 it's um it's definitely just mental games i mean definitely working with brands is is uh, something you're not a stranger to are there are there commercial projects that you flat out just turned down because you didn't feel it was a good fit for you uh yeah there's there's been a few um it, like i i try to i try to really pride myself on um working uh, as much as I can with like brands and people. Cause it, cause boiled down brands are just like a big company of a lot of different people. And so it's just working with more than one person. So instead of like taking a commission from an individual, you're taking a commission from like a group of individuals. So I, I try to like really pride myself and like keep that in, in my mind of like, okay, just work with, um, like you'll, even though like there's, there's times that might be like a little bit frustrating, like at the end, like it'll, it'll be worth it and you'll have something you can be proud of and like show to people. Um, there's, there's probably a few brands that I know that like I wouldn't work with just on kind of like, I don't want to say principle cause it's very hard to just like. I don't know, put a huge group of people on a shit list because of like one CEO or whatever. It's like, well, everybody in this company can't be bad, you know, (laughs) like, and if they are, that's like, that's like insane. That's like a superpower. I don't don't know. Um, So, but, but there's like definitely a few that I just, I wouldn't see it fitting right or whatever. And then, and then there's a few that I feel like would be so spot on that I'm like, I really want to work with them and that I'd probably do it for nothing, but I'm not going to tell you which ones they are. (laughs) (laughs) Take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I hate hate working for free. (laughs) Right. Um, So let's talk about what you have coming up. What does 2023 have in store for you? Anything that you can uh, talk about? Uh, a, a few things that I can't talk about that I'll just, I'll say that I'm really excited about, um, signed a few NDAs. So signed my solo away. So I can't talk about them, but they're pretty big. I'm really excited about them. Um, a lot of different, um, mural projects going on that I'm, I'm designing for a lot right now. Um, a few studio commissions that, um, Still, still in the works. Um, all of February, I'm going up to uh, Seattle to concentrate on studio work, though, uh, with uh, Archive up in nice Seattle, um, which I'm so excited about. Like I've I've kind of been chomping at the bit because I've, I've been doing a lot of these. Um, I've had a lot of commercial projects and a lot of commissions, which is so awesome. But uh, then I looked back at like 2021, 20, 2022, 20, and I'm just like, I have like just like two or three like studio, like just personal pieces. So, so set, set aside all of February. So I'm so excited. So that's about to pop off. Um, and so I've been creating, oh, just uh, concepts and sketching stuff out and have a few photo shoots for references lined up and some things like that. So very nice. Is that going to develop into a show? I mean, what the conclusion of that? February period, man. Uh, so I, I don't know if you're familiar with archive, but it's, um, it's really the way, uh, my friend Dom is doing it, but the way he structured things, it's something that I can really get behind because it is just kind of like complete creative freedom. Cause he's like, yeah, just, you'll just come up here and you'll just create stuff. It'll be, it'll be great. And I'll, I'll help you like prep and do all the things. And, um, like, and he's like, what do you want to do? It's like, so if I wanted to do like a solo show just off of like February, like 
I could. And if I like get up there and I don't, I'm not feeling it or I don't, I do like a few paintings and maybe I want to just do like an unveiling or a show or just like put them out in the world. Like that's it. So it's nice. It's really exciting to just kind of be like, okay, like some really, really cool creative things are going to happen. And there's not necessarily any um, like commercial quote unquote goals behind it. It's it's like what I was saying earlier. It's like, it's just for like pure creative freedom and like doing something and which is funny how it turns out because those are always the best paintings so <laughs> the best one well, yeah. they come from your heart you know you're not trying exactly. to meet other people's expectations you know exactly exactly so so that's the thing in the future i'm i'm most excited about um uh, uh yeah I'm, I'm designing this week for uh a big mural project in long beach that comes up in the summer that's that's one um, and I'm working a little bit with a uh, rabbi, rabbi towing. Um, he's doing a few walls. I'm doing a few walls. We're doing some collaborations together and like sharing all the references. So the stylistically, it'll all kind of like flow together with his and my work. So really excited about that. Um, uh, it seems like there was something else. There's, there's so many different things. Uh, I was actually having a conversation with this with a, with a friend a couple of days ago. Cause they're like, what do you have going on? And I'm like, Honestly, so much that I can't remember, which is a, it's a blessing, dude. It's so, yeah. it's so cool because it's like, well, I have to look at like what's written down because I get super bogged down and I'm, and I, I'm kind of like tunnel vision. It's like this thing and then this thing and then this thing. I mean, when you get so many things, you kind of have to segment it, you know, you have to kind of compartmentalize. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this, this next week, it's funny because like a lot of people are like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm walking myself in the studio. I can't talk to you. I got to design 15 murals. We'll talk in two weeks. <laughs> it's like, okay. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any, uh, like print releases that you'd want to put at people's radar coming up? Uh, I'm trying to think. I just had one. Um, I probably won't have one for a few months. Uh, I think the next one that I'll probably do will probably be from the work created in February. So like, uh, a lot of the print releases that I've been doing, they're like paintings from uh, like 2018 or like before, um, and there's like a few paintings that I've done that no one's ever seen before. So I, I definitely want to start putting out like new work with prints and, uh, maybe a few other cool things. Very cool. So before we close out, um, I, I wanted, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the stylization of your name, which I find very nice. I really <laughs> love the way that you space your name out and it's, thank you. I guess, where did that come from? Where did you originally uh, come up with that? Uh, my my massive passive aggressive signature list on everything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, uh, well, so I, coming from graffiti, I always tried to have like a really cool hand style, and like I'd like sign my name cool when I was a kid, and like I've always like tried to do all this crazy stuff, and then um, it just never really fit. And uh, I was doing some paintings in L.A., and I think. Uh, I did a few portraits and then online uh, they, they got like, they were tagging other artists. Cause I used to, I used to not sign any of my, any of my stuff. I was like super insecure. So I would like, just like either sign the back really small, my full legal name, like date, you know, like very like rigid. And I would try to do it in like a cool hand style and it was just looked terrible. And then uh, I saw this, big mural that I did in LA. I, I can't even remember what it, I, I know it was like a girl's face and, and eyes and stuff. And it was one of the, like the really early ones, but I saw, um, 
it was getting like tagged online and like hashtag with like different portrait artists that people thought it was. And it really bothered me. And I was reading this book. um, I think about it was, it was uh, Michelangelo's Pieta that like on, on the sash, someone else had got credit for that statue. And he, so he snuck in and he like chiseled basically like, Hey, like Michelangelo from Florence did this MF -er." like very, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, kind of like did this and um whether that was true or not I, I i don't know i've read a few different things about it and people say that it is but uh whether it's true or not i was like that is like the dopest thing ever and um at the same the same night i was like looking at different artists signature and i saw a van gogh where he signed it vince <laughs> and i was like that's so <laughs> that's so great and then, um, I was, but then like stylistically, like I never knew like whatever. And I think I was like writing something to somebody or something. And, and so, um, I just basically like, uh, it was for one of the paintings I did for known gallery, but I just, I signed it in my handwriting, just like how I just like write. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, Oh, that's so dope. And like, that's so cool and whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, Man, like like 20 plus years of trying to write graffiti and then you freak out over my like terrible just handwriting. Your natural handwriting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but but I think that was like a big lesson. It's just like uh, you just gotta be real. Just just be real or whatever. But yeah, so that so a lot of the stuff is like signed big and passively awesome. aggressive, just out of pure like frustration. Well, and it does almost look like, I mean, and it, it may have evolved past the point where that was the intention, but it does almost seem like you just came in after just to claim it, you know, like, hey, yeah, this is yeah. mine. <laughs> Put yeah, my name pretty, on it. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. And then uh, since I was uncomfortable with signing stuff, um, just like the the weird, uh, oh, oh, what, what did I say? The, uh, the, the little insecurities of like, this is my stuff or whatever. That's where the lowercase came from. Cause I felt like it was like big, but still kind of quiet, <laughs> you know, just, just little stupid it. stuff like that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so where can people find you online so they can uh, stay up to date with all the stuff that you got coming up? Uh, probably, uh, Instagram, uh, just at Drew Merritt, Merritt with two R's and two T's. And then, uh, my website, drewmerritt.com. Uh, pretty soon in the new year, I'm going to start letting people sign up for my mailing list, things like that. Um, so we're going to, going to try to keep a little bit more in touch with people. I've been, I'm pretty, pretty hermity and pretty reclusive. So trying to get better about that. And, um, which leads me to thank you for having me on because it gives yeah, me absolutely. the opportunity to be a little bit more, uh, personable and, and less hermity. So it was great talking to you. Yeah, for sure. And last question before we we jump off. Who is one artist that you'd like to see me have on the show? Oh, my gosh. Only only one? Only one? Uh, I mean, some people have violated that constraint, but whatever you feel comfortable with. Man, I don't want to say something that you've already had on either. Um, Have you had Tristan Eaton on yet? No, no, not yet. Because that guy is just a wealth of like stories and like I could just sit around in his studio and listen to him talk about like and every time that we hang out, I hear a new story and like a new thing. So I I would I would love to hear Tristan on here. Um, Awesome. Even Matt, Matt Eaton. I would love to hear. I have had Matt on. So I have. Oh, that's right. You already you already said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I would I would love to hear a podcast of them on together, too. That would be that'd be really cool to 
to see the like evolution of things like that. And then, um, man, there's, there's a few that I don't even know if they do podcasts. Like I, I really am like a huge fan of, um, Anselm Kiefer. He's like a museum guy, a German guy, like, but I've, I've never heard him do a podcast. I would just love it. He's on that like blue chip <laughs> museum stuff, but I'm like, please someone like that. I will nerd out so hard. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that's just off the top of my head. I would love to hear Tris. And then there's, oh, James Jean. Have you had James Jean on? I haven't. No, no. I love James's work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love him. I know you have, you've had Esau on. He was the first one that popped into my head. Um, and then I was like, you've had him on. So, okay. Sorry. That was, <laughs> I, I can talk about other artists all day. So thank you. Yeah, no doubt. Drew, thank you so much for doing the show, man. This has been a lot of fun getting to know more about you, and I really appreciate it. Oh, man. Pleasure's all mine, and uh, thanks, and you know, let's do it again, man. It was fun. So that's it for this episode of Art Affairs. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Drew. It's so interesting how Drew is able to discover and fall in love with art through comic books and the graffiti on trains coming through his hometown. When I first started reading up on him, I was wondering how someone living in a more remote part of the country like rural New Mexico would even be exposed to graffiti since it's traditionally thought of as a more urban art form. But of course, there's a long history of graffiti and the train system in America. It's, it's interesting to think about how trains not only carried cargo to various parts of the U.S., but it also made graffiti a far more accessible and ubiquitous art form that could be experienced by the most remote communities who may not otherwise have an opportunity to experience art. And for Drew, it was this experience of painting graffiti and then getting caught that ended up leading to his first commission mural as a means of paying off his legal debt. It's pretty wild how all of these little pieces fit together in just the right way um, to get him to where he is today. Um, But I guess that's just how life is in general, really, right? I mean, our our lives are all these complicated series of of seemingly random events that, that just happened in just the right way or just the way that they needed to happen for us to be where we are uh, in this moment. And if any one of those things had happened even slightly differently, we might be entirely different people or, or at least living in entirely different circumstances. But I really like what Drew had to say about his desire to make his work timeless, um, you know, creating an aesthetic that you can't quite nail down in time so that it doesn't feel um, dated ever and is effectively always fresh hyper-focusing on these mini-vignettes, encouraging you as the viewer to, you know, complete the larger narrative based on the lens of your own, you know, unique lived experiences. The best kinds of art are extremely effective at that, you know, transcending time and place to, you know, collaborate with the viewer in creating a, a complete feeling or a complete experience. It sounds like Drew has a lot lined up this year. And this, you know, residency of sorts in Seattle at Archive uh, looks to be the next big thing. So be sure to follow Drew's Instagram to stay up to date with that and the rest of the stuff that he'll be doing this year. So thanks again to Drew for joining me today, and thank you for checking out the show. I'm truly grateful for your support. 
And just a reminder, one big way you could help out if you're really enjoying the show would be to check out the show's Patreon. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash artifairs. And as always, you can contact me through my website at artifairspodcast.com or on Instagram at artifairspodcast. So until next time, be good to yourself and be good to each other.